start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Tim Burrows. Today, another business publication for Australia. The AFL walkover delivers a ratings dud. And Optus's data nightmare. Unmade. Good morning, Damien. Ready for the last dance? Morning, Tim. I am. I am. I uh, have had my beauty sleep and I'm ready to go. Crack the knuckles. Everything's good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you very much. It's uh, starting to feel like spring in Sisters Beach, Tasmania. Spring has certainly sprung in Sydney as well. It's uh, It was lovely over the weekend, but... Uh, I keep hearing the, and, and this has become a recurring theme for the start of the week, but La Nina is back and uh, I feel it's coming back for the uh, tail end of this week in Sydney. So looking forward to that, although it's uh, sunny outside now. Definitely something to look forward to. So I say last dance for a reason. Um, we will be sharing some detail at the end of this podcast about how Damo's role with Unmade will be changing and we'll be talking about our plans for Unmade's next couple of events. So do stick around to the end for that. First, though, let's get into the week's news topics. Damo, where should we start this week? Yeah, good question, Tim. Why don't we start with publishing because there's a lot going on over the weekend in that realm. Probably a good bet to start with Crikey, uh, because they've just announced a very interesting new publication and one that uh, I think the listeners will be relatively well aware of, particularly the name involved in uh, bringing that to market, Tim. Yeah, so this is a story uh, breaking in the Australian Financial Review this morning. Uh, Private media, owners of Crikey, are launching uh, launching into this market, I suppose, um, a new to Australia brand, which is Inc. Now, this is spelt I-N-C, not to be confused with Crikey's previous investigative brand, Inc, spelt I-N-Q. Um, now, Inc is a business publication and uh, content from the US version will now appear online uh, alongside uh, Crikey's um, smart company brand which has been its business brand for some time. But I suppose one of the really interesting things about it is the appointment of an Australian editor-in-chief in in Simon Creerer. Now, um, Simon's got a pretty uh, interesting career resume. He was uh, the person who launched BuzzFeed Australia, um, eventually becoming, if I remember rightly, their general manager um, right through until when BuzzFeed globally decided it wasn't as interested in investing in overseas offices and pulled back and, and, and you know, many of the Australian BuzzFeed team left. And more recently, um, Simon has been one of the uh, one, one of the team of several involved in launching PS Media, which is, um, uh, I suppose, an attempt to solve the problem of funding local journalism now that that model has become harder. So, um, you know, I, th- I, I, I guess my immediate thought on seeing this news is, well, what does that mean for PS Media? Um, now, my understanding is that 
Simon will stay on as acting chairman of PS Media um, and an experienced chairman will then be appointed to lead them through to their next round of fundraising. So it's not it's not the end for them, but clearly a new uh, focus for uh, for him as he moves into the private media stable. Now, it's an interesting time for publishing in particular because uh, another big US name uh, drops into market, I, I believe, today, which is Forbes. Um, Forbes and Inc. coming in around the same time. We haven't seen this sort of action in the Australian publishing scene for, for quite some time. Tim, can it sustain this level of activity? Well, it is amusing, isn't it? That um, that yes, of all the days that private media chooses to Funny announce <laughs> the launch of Inc, it, it happens to be the day that Forbes Australia launches as well. Now, I guess one 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 point of difference for Forbes Australia is that it will also have um, print editions as well. So um, they're they're saying at the moment there'll be two a month of those, along with um, digital content as well. This is um, being run locally by Michael Lane so it's a sort of local franchise um in terms of is there space do you know what I mean if you're going to have publications in the space and this is probably where you do it because there's so much potential advertising you know there's a lot of kind of um b2b advertising that um that that is looking for outlets so you know if you want to speak to you know owners of business or people active in business then then that makes sense um there's also and this is i didn't warn you about this before we started recording because i got a real dilemma whether i'm going to blow our own exclusive here (laughs) um later in the week i'm uploading a podcast interview with someone who's also going to reveal their plans for a weekly <laughs> printed business publication. So I think, I think I'll leave it at that for now because uh, I don't want to completely blow the exclusive. But let's say it's, you know, obviously there are existing players like the Australian Financial Review and the, you know, the Australian has a strong business section, et cetera. But let's, let's just say there's going to be another national printed weekly product to come as well. So, um, so my, my question then to you, Tim, would be – Hey, I, I've sort of haven't realised any big trends that would suggest to me that now is the time for a business publication. What have I missed? What, why is now the time for a business publication, apparently? I suspect it may be more that it has been the time for some time. Mm. And, you know, the, the, the opportunity has come along. Perhaps the fact that Forbes was launching, you know, brought forward plans to to, to make the announcement from private media, um, as we'll talk about later. Maybe it's not a great time to be talking about business in that the economy is about to have um, some a real roller coaster ride. Although, of course, journalistically, uh, even if there's less ads around, potentially, it's a great time to be writing about it. So, um, so yeah, we'll have to. Uh, we'll, 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 we shall see whether it's a genius of timing or a terrible time. Um, but you know, often disruption can be quite a good moment for an upstart to come in. Now we'll we'll move on quickly because there's a update to the situation with the Judith Nielsen Institute uh, over the weekend this morning uh, over the weekend I should say uh, Tim uh, can you bring us up to date with that 
Yeah, this one came in last night while we're still on <clears throat> on publishing, which is, uh, this one's in the Australian, um, suggesting a bit more detail on the whole question of why the governance team at the Judith Nielsen Institute kind of imploded. Judith Nielsen Institute being for the, the, the philanthropic effort to support journalism. Now, it all kind of blew up over the the, the, the mission of the, certainly some of the executives and the board to launch this $50 million prize for ideas. Now, at first it looked like, depending who's spinning behind the scenes at the time, at first it looked like, hey, you know, how kind of puzzling that suddenly Judith Nielsen has changed her mind. And then when eventually her side kind of came out through various briefings, it was a bit more that it sounded like, her point of view was that members of the board had decided they wanted their own sort of whims, I suppose, that weren't that close to journalism. You know, they were more about cultural and ideas and maybe not what the organisation had been set up and, you know, perhaps reflected the backgrounds and interests of those people. And then the pendulum swings back again today with um, some uh, some minutes of the board now leaking into the public domain. Um which say that at the very least that during the board meeting members were told that she'd been briefed about this process along the way now of course what we don't know is whether they were they what we don't know is whether they were being accurately or not uh, informed on the level of information she had but that was what the board minutes said so we don't obviously quite know where it lies on that but certainly it does point to the kind of trickiness of uh, you know, that, that area of what we might call philanthropic journalism. Coming up next, can Optus recover from its latest reputation disaster? Unmade. Tim, over the weekend in Best of the Week, you had a look at the reputational impact of the latest, uh, I guess we can call this the latest Floptus uh, situation with the, the data breach that we all now know about uh, that occurred for Optus customers past and present. Uh, now that you've had a bit of time to consider the, the ramifications, and there are some fairly big ramifications for this one would imagine, how do you believe Optus comes out of this reputationally and, and fixes the, the damage that's happened? It's... It's so tricky, you know, when you talk about Floptus, that was the reference to the problems with the streaming of the previous World Cup, um, which I suppose was, you know, super damaging for a few days at the time, particularly because back then Optus Sport was quite a new brand. So, you know, th- th- those are real and challenging, but also it was a, you know, it wasn't life and death. It was football games. Pales in significance by comparison, doesn't it? Yeah, look, it kind of it, it, it kind of does. So that you know, they and they handled that quite well. They they had in the kind of in the in the tabloids they had um, full page ads with a sort of uh, headline balls up, and then you know that that headline then repeated in various languages, which was kind of it was it was an apology, but it was self deprecating, and then a more serious version of that copy in the um, in the so called grown up papers and things like the AFR and the Australian. This time around, there's probably less room for levity. Um, but I suppose the thing is, as I find myself thinking about it more as the day days go on, a 
it's really serious. I mean, you're, you know, you're a tech journo by background, so you can tell me, but I can't, I can't think of a more serious data breach in Australia, you know, which, which genuinely risks, you know, customers being defrauded. Um, but, but, you know, that, that's what's happened. The question now is where does Optus go from here? And that's where the technology problem swings towards the marketing team. Um, now, a couple of things is, you know, one of the reasons you, you you invest in your brand and building your brand is to make it resilient when a disaster happens. So from that point of view, I think Optus has some credit in the bank because, you know, it has been a good brand builder over the years. Um, and then I guess there, there's going to be a couple of phases. There's the communication phase, which obviously we're in right now, um, talking to customers, making them understand what happened, um, frame it. And this is this is a real tightrope because I think the PR advice will be frame it that um, Optus is a victim too. Um, and you can see that in some of the language, but equally be seen to be accepting the responsibility um, and be seen to being empathetic to customers who will be concerned about what's happened to their data and are they going to be victims of fraud as a result of it, which which unfortunately does seem to be a real risk. And then from there, the real heavy lifting begins when the brand team starts rebuilding the trust, which is a slow process, but a doable one, you know. So there's probably never been a time for Optus when its brand and its future investment in the brand has been more important. Yeah, I'd tend to agree with that. But I would also suggest that the telco space um, has similarities to, you know, you and I like to talk about the aviation space uh, a lot. And we've spoken about this in terms of Qantas's reputation. Now, you'd say that the telco equivalent would be Telstra rather than Optus. But um, if you look at the type of customers Optus has, a lot of them, I certainly wouldn't suggest any sort of percentages, but a lot of them, and I count myself as one of them, would be on contracts. Uh, and unless we want to pay out that contract or there's some sort of um, opportunity to exit that contract, then we're in for the next year or two years or whatever it is, uh, which gives Optus a little bit more breathing room to mend that damage and build that trust back up again. I think we saw a lot of pundits over the last few days uh, across various media suggest that you know, Optus is not the first and it won't be the last large company to have a significant data breach. And it doesn't have to be an extremely technical situation. We've had um, situations where staff uh, at large companies have unwittingly you know, handed over information to hackers, etc. So sometimes it isn't super technical. But uh, Tim, do you believe there'll be any sustained damage to, to the Optus brand from this? One of the things that does often surprise me is how brands do bounce back um, and sometimes quite quickly when they have a one-off big problem. So I suppose the big thing is is how quickly can Optus move on from it? And I think this is going to be the problem is there's going to be so many um, reverberations. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are 
class actions, all of that sort of thing. Um, we're already getting signals from the government that there, you know, there, there, there might be new or tightenings of the laws. Um, you know, there, 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 there might be examinations of whether there have been any breaches under the, the current rules. So it, it feels like it's going to be an ongoing thing for a while. And I think that's going to be the challenge is how Optus engages with that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it'd be desperate to put it behind it, but of course it's, it's again quite a balance when you have to kind of both, you know, be, be, be seen to be engaging in the process um, and not wanting to kind of sweep anything under the carpet whilst also desperately needing to move on. So I, 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 I think that's going to be the, you know, the, 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 the balance of it. But, you know, as you say, um, hey, look, you know, this one certainly on the face of it sounds like human error and, you know, more, you know, more knowledgeable tech writers than me have been making the point that you, you need to build systems that are resilient to human error. And that was probably the real problem. But, um, but, you know, I, I suspect that we'll, see more cases like this in the future and once optus you know is no longer the outlier then perhaps that's the point at which um their customers become a little bit more forgiving yeah you predicted in best of the week but uh, from today that we might start seeing the full page uh, uh forgiveness ads coming out from uh, optus have you seen anything yet tim <laughs> That's a very good question because I read the digital version. So I'm literally, I'm just going to pick the Australian Financial Review because that's the nearest one to me um, and see if uh, there's anything in the, in, in, I mean, I'm looking at the facsimile, but the, the print version. The answer is, <laughs> ironically, page seven of the AFR, there's a full page ad for Google. <laughs> Privacy is personal. Ooh. That's why you're in control for your personal information for easy to use settings. Now, on the face of it, that actually looks a bit opportunistic hmm. by Google. But in fairness, I've seen these ads running for a little while. Um, they were certainly running last week because the AFR kind of screwed over uh, Crikey a little bit, actually. Crikey had taken out a small front page ad on the AFR, um, which, which, which was part of their ongoing um, uh debate about defamation with Lachlan Murdoch and there was actually a cover wrap on the front page of the AFR so it looked to me like they'd paid for the front page and hadn't got it and then ironically it was Google that had snatched that noise from them but yeah going further in so actually certainly in the AFR anyway there aren't full pages yet which which is sort of understandable because it's quite hard to get that tone just yet you know I'm sure they're coming quite soon um, but, um, but yeah, you know, um, definitely we're about to see a lot of communications, I'm sure. Coming up next, ratings, 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 and a little bit on quotas as well. Unmade. Tim, we had one of the biggest sporting events for Australia over the weekend, probably the biggest sporting event uh, for Australia in the normal calendar year anyway, not including Olympics and Commonwealth Games, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the AFL Grand Final, and there was a little bit of disappointment around the ratings for that event. Yeah, look, depending how you look at it, de definitely the, the way the headlines have been written are that it was a, a, a disappointing ratings number. Now, 
as always with these things, you can slice it in different ways. I think the expectation was, given that there was a Sydney team involved in the Swans, that there would be a big audience. Now, what it looks like happened was there was a decent reach, but because it was such a one-sided game with Geelong just thrashing the Swans and from quite early, it looks like a lot of the neutral viewers just sort of moved away. And I must admit, I personally didn't, you know, I think I made it to about halfway through the fourth quarter. I didn't make it all the way through. Um, And of course, because the ratings take a sort of average audience of, you know, watching across the thing, um, that then delivers a lower number. So um, the, the, the expectation beforehand was that uh, the number would probably beat the overall viewing for um, the Royal Funeral earlier in the week, which depending how you work it out was probably about um, maybe a viewing peak of 5 million, just over 5 million in Australia. And again, peak is a different number. That's the most people watching at any one moment. Um, but yeah, it certainly looks like um, the number for the headline number for AFL was significantly less than that. Um, so I think it will it will recreate all of the the, the usual debates about kickoff time because obviously it it, it started at you know um, early afternoon, whereas when numbers have been you know magnificent in the past is was when there was the exception of an evening game, um, and of course. You know, if I if I remember rightly, in the announcement of the new rights deal, which obviously Seven has the rights to the to to the grand, the exclusive rights to the grand final, I think I remember Gil McLaughlin saying the timing of the grand final was yet to be decided for future years. So I think that will that that will put it back on the table. Um, so yeah, look, I don't. I don't think Seven did anything particularly wrong in how it covered it to drive off the audience. I think it was just the quality of the game. Um, there was some drama going on on social media where people obviously aren't regular AFL um, viewers were kind of shocked to discover they couldn't stream it on Seven Plus because, of course, uh, Foxtel had previously um, had the rights um, and they obviously weren't watching that, um, you know, sort of through the whole season. Um, so 7 Plus, uh, in theory, only worked on connected TVs. Although, again, there was a slight oddity because later on people were starting to report that actually now they could get it on mobile as well. So all sorts of strange things going on there. Um, but anyway, that that clears up once we move into the new AFL deal, because then Seven will have all, all rights and all platforms for um, for streaming things like the grand final. Look, you're a TV expert in particular, Tim, and I've got to admit, I'm not a massive AFL fan. I got halfway to IKEA um, in the afternoon when my well, son. Good day to do it, I reckon. Good day to do it. <laughs> Well, my son asked me embarrassingly enough, can I watch the AFL Grand Final, Dad? And I said, well, yeah, of course you can. When's it on? Uh, And then we got into this big debate about what isn't it on in the primetime? Of course it wasn't. It had already started at at, at that stage. So we jumped on Foxtel on my phone so we could watch it. But in your experiences, this will now, and we saw James Warburton make a bit of a a push over the weekend to suggest that that maybe a a primetime spot for the grand final next year would be beneficial to ratings now, particularly because they've just done a massive 
broadcast deal, they may have a little bit more sway in in the uh, the, the timing of, of this. But in your experience, would that casting aside the the blowout that, that happened, uh, would that lead to or should it lead to additional viewers? Well, one of certainly one of the experiences during COVID when it was an evening game was that yeah, it did it, it did improve audiences, and then of course it's a balance with the traditional kickoff time and also you know the needs of the fans at the game because it's more pleasant going along mid-afternoon than you know a late finish you know particularly if um you know the the you know the game's kind of drawn in normal time or whatever so you know that it my my guess is this will provide a little bit of extra impetus to go later in the day um, but the game will have to be played a bit about, you know, the nod towards, you know, fan needs in the ground as well. Okay, we've got to move quickly on to the other bigger story uh, in regards to the TV space and streaming, and, and this is to do with quotas. We've been talking about this a fair bit in terms of whether the quotas on the TV network should be uh, applicable to the streamers as well now disney over the weekend has come out and uh, suggested that it shouldn't be uh, applicable not so much that it shouldn't be applicable tim that uh, it's probably not actually something that could be applicable uh, at the moment (laughs) what's what's going on there yeah, so this is a story in today's edition of The Australian. Now, you always do get this sort of lobbying when the laws are being reviewed. And, of course, we've seen the lobbying, successful lobbying from the existing free-to-air TV networks that their quotas should be eased, which um, I've always been a bit sceptical about because, you know, having the having the rights to a broadcast licence, the access to the public airwaves, you know, I... I personally think should come with some obligations of which you know one of them is the the quotas about local content and different types of local content and gradually that's been loosened you know we've we've talked previously about how there's much less um children's content on television as a result of that being loosened um and of course the 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 free-to-air networks were arguing that the same sort of demands should be made of the streamers on providing local content, even obviously if they don't have access to the airwaves, which is to a certain extent, fair enough. Um, you know, they're, they're, it, it certainly feels like you've got two things. You've got the level playing field thing as a business environment, but also what's in the best interest of the public. And, you know, I guess Australia is entitled to decide that if people want to do business in Australia, the rules of the game are whatever they are. Disney arguing that maybe the production community um, locally wouldn't be capable of providing the extra content. Um, I think that's maybe a bit of a thin argument. You know, the the industry has scaled up. Um, My suspicion is we've also, we've had our boom. um, And I suspect that, Without quotas, the industry is going to go through a horrible crash as all of the um, all of the streaming players actually pull back on the level of investment. So you know you, you, you've got a major hub, ironically enough, for Disney anyway in the uh, what used to be Fox Studios now Marvel Studios in Sydney. Um, so you know, feels like lobbying to me. I I, I kind of think you know if um, if there was the will there, then 
Disney would be pretty capable of, uh, of, of creating that level of local content. I get the feeling that uh, any industry really wouldn't be turning its uh, nose up at additional work coming in, particularly uh, in the screen space. But we must move on because coming up next, we're going to be talking about market meltdowns. Tim, you covered this in Best of the Week as well. An absolutely horrendous end to the week for the ASX, but particularly the unmade index uh, dropping 4.92%, which has left a number of the companies on the unmade index recording some pretty horrible figures and some somewhat astonishing uh, astonishingly low uh, market caps. Uh, give us a bit of a recap of what's been happening. Yeah, so back at the start of the year when we started the Unmade Index, we gave it a nominal 1,000 points. It's now down to 650. has been fractionally lower early in the year, but this is close to the low. So that means it's down 35% for the year. So if you bought a basket of stocks in Australia's listed median marketing companies, you've lost 35% of your money um, as it sits at the moment. Um, Now, one of the things which tends to go on in a down market is that media stocks tend to be punished more and in an up market they 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 get an extra bounce just because you know that's the nature of advertising based businesses it's something where the the tap is a bit easier to be turned on and off as a sort of marketing expense um but yeah we had a whole bunch of different milestones um last week so southern cross stereo its share price briefly dropped to 90 cents which is the lowest in its history um, you know, it's still languishing on 92 cents. So market capitalization of just 240 million. You know, think about that. You know, a company as big as Southern Cross Stereo, owner of Triple M, owner of the Hit Network, owner of TV station, regional TV stations, 240 million. That's, that, that's so low. Um, Seven West Media had a big fall as well. That market cap is now below 700 million. Um, HTE, owner of the Australian Radio Network, so um, the the Kiss Network and the Gold Network, now below four hundred million value. Hey, look, you know, if you uh, if if you if you if you had a billion dollars in your back pocket, you could buy half the media at the current prices. <laughs> do, um, do you? I do not. And also, one of the realities as well, you know, is if ever there were any actual M&A activity, people wouldn't get those companies at those prices because the share price would go back up again. Um, but, you know, nine, nine is down a third on its value for the year to date, just like seven. So, you know, its market cap is about 3.3 billion. Um, and, uh, and domain, which obviously nine is the majority owner of doing, doing even worse. That's down 46% for the year today and back below 2 billion. Now, um, that's all against the backdrop that we're going to have another bloodbath on the ASX today. Well, that's all of the predictions because, you know, after the market closed in Australia on Friday, there was a brutal day in the Northern hemisphere, um, after, um, the UK kind of budget update was announced with some really strange policies, which um, which caused the pound to crash and a real kind of run on everything in the market. So, um, yeah, I think I you know 
I'd be very surprised if we don't see another big drop in the unmade index today. Um, yeah, it's it it you know I I I I once wrote had one of my uh, one of my contacts just messaged me saying a hurricane is coming. Well, I think the hurricane might be arriving there. Now that we spoke about this during COVID in a similar vein in that the situation was able to, in a sense, extend the length of some business leaders' tenure at businesses that were maybe struggling uh, a little bit because during COVID, who the hell knew what was actually going on and what was reality and, and how to pivot quickly? It all became quite a blur. In this sort of situation where you're at the mercy to some extent uh, of the global financial situation, uh, particularly coming out of uh, the UK and uh, the US, uh, what are the, I guess, the unmade index business leaders uh, thinking at the moment or feeling? What sort of pressure are they feeling uh, at the moment? Does this situation put any of them under increased pressure in terms of their job security? Well, one thing to bear in mind is that, to a certain extent, share price is irrelevant to the day-to-day running because that's a capture of market sentiment. It's what the market thinks a company's worth. Um, And, of course, that's a forward-looking thing because if you look at all the last set of reports, they're all pretty decent. So it's more about what the world sees the market as going. Um, The... I suppose the the only one where I where it really feels super high stakes for me is Southern Cross Osterio, because you know this is a company which has for the best part of a decade now every year seen declining revenues, declining um, profits. Um, now Grant Blackley, the CEO, has dropped some pretty hefty hints to the market ahead of time that in the um, company's kind of annual two-day strategy day which is 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 coming up in october he wants to talk about launching listener in uh, overseas markets and that that feels like trying to position the company as having a kind of a big streaming future outside of australia so that's a growth story um and that that feels like surely at the very least that's that's partly in response to the market seeming to assess this as a company without much of a, you know, m- much of a, a growth story. Otherwise, you know, that's the only explanation really for why that share price is is so low. So that that's the one where, you know, it feels there's the most at stake. You know, there were there there were leaks earlier this year that the board was looking for a um, to build a succession plan for the next CEO, which again, you know, all all boards should do but it that that one just felt like mm, maybe they're being a little bit more urgent about it so that that that's probably the one where you really feel um that's you know where it can join the dots a bit and of course all of the ceos uh, tend to have some of their remuneration based on improvements in the share price so you know if the share price goes down then um in theory they might uh, they, they, they they might feel a bit of personal pain for it um, so yeah, I I suspect that um, there if if things carry on as they're beginning to look, there's going to be a fair bit of pain across the sector. Coming up next, a bit of news on what's coming up for Unmade. 
unmade. Which brings us to an important piece of housekeeping. Um, Damo, you are stepping back as managing partner at Unmade, but staying involved. Um, what's the plan? Yeah, that's right, Tim. I'll uh, be stepping away at the end of the week. Uh, and it's a decision that, uh, as you know, uh, I made a little while ago for for personal reasons. Um, it's been a, an absolutely fascinating uh, ride with you setting up uh, the business this year. Uh, I think we've uh, achieved a number of pretty pretty big things when you, when you look back on it and actually consider everything that that's happened. Um, you know, hey, we we survived our first uh, end of financial year, which uh, even for a, a small uh, startup is still quite a, a stressful situation. I, I remember the various phone calls on uh, on uh, the the last day of the financial year, back and forth. Of, had we thought about this? Have we done that? And uh, that's an experience that will uh, stick with me for a while, but. You know, look, we, we, we've hit 10,000 subscribers. We, we've won a few awards uh, as well. We've done our first event, got a media kit and market and a lot happening there. So, um, look, it uh, like I say, for, for personal reasons, it's a, a time for me to, to step a, a aside. But um, I'll be doing some uh, consulting work moving forward and uh, that includes uh, unmade uh, events, uh, one which we are about to uh, get into market quite quickly. I was down in Melbourne uh, last week scoping out some venues and we'll be looking to do one on November 15 for the Melbourne market. Uh, and Tim, you can probably share a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, so that one um, we'll be looking forward to what's coming up in 2023. So it'll be a a forward-looking panel. Um, I don't think we're quite ready to say who's on the panel yet. Not uh, quite yet. We're, we're, we're yeah. close. I, I've, I'm going to try and uh, optimistically round that out this week <laughs> as soon as I can, but uh, best laid plans and whatnot. And then the next event you'll be working on us in your, 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 your new role will be probably in the first week of February. Yes, it looks like a, a pretty interesting uh, time for the retail media space, which uh, we will uh, have, a, have a look at. Um, so if anyone does have some thoughts, uh, ideas, uh, strong opinions uh, on that space, do make sure you uh, drop me a line. And it's worth actually spelling out what we mean by retail media. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think everyone has sort of seen the headlines of, of Cartology and uh, some of the moves coming uh, from, hey, startups like Zitra, who was on the Unmade, uh, the uh, Unmakers uh, podcast, I should say, uh, quite a while back. But uh, essentially, retailers becoming media owners. They always kind of were media owners, but actually monetizing their media opportunities uh, whether that be uh, online or in store, but mainly now the, the big uh, opportunity is uh, digital. Uh, so having a look at that, opening up the the environment and really getting to the nitty gritty. But uh, I think we've uh, both uh, sort of realized that there's a lot of people who still would like a, a bit of a 101 and a bit beyond that in the retail media sort of area. And, and it's probably a good time to try and deliver that. Yeah, look, it definitely feels to me like, 
one of those spaces which is just exploding at the moment. Obviously, the PwC Media and Entertainment Outlook report gave a whole chapter over to the to the topic. Um, so yeah, it does it does feel that it's time to bring that little. It is it's beginning to become a little community of itself. Time to bring that community back, you know, together. Um, maybe for the first time, the retail media side of it has been brought together. So that's that's our sort of plan. Um, and yeah, and I'm I'm delighted that you know that's that's how you'll stay involved with Unmade doing that sort of thing. Um, I also think it's kind of important to be kind of transparent in these things as well. So um, so you know sometimes with these things, it's is a way of managing somebody out. Um, and it's worth being clear, this is not that at all um i tried very hard to persuade you demo to stay fully within the tent you did you did um we're you know incredibly grateful for everything you've done for that first year because we we couldn't have got to where we've got in terms of you know running the business particularly for that time when i was in the uk and you were here in australia so um yeah i'll 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 always be very grateful for, for everything you've done so far and um, be leaning on you heavily in your with your your new um, your new events. I will of course um, you know wishing you the best with everything else as well. So uh, so thank you for everything you've done to this point. Thank you very much. And likewise, it was uh, it, it it certainly wasn't any sort of uh, blow up or any anything like that. But um, hey, I don't think we've had a, a proper shouting match in our five years of of working together yet. Maybe we should have uh, tried to fit one of those in. <laughs> Well, that is it for today. We would love to hear what you think of everything we've been talking about at letters at unmade.media. But it's worth mentioning that um, Start the Week will continue. You might remember that uh, once or twice, Abe Udi, who um, uh, is the person who edits this podcast every week, has very kindly joined me on start the week and that will become a more permanent arrangement for next week so uh we will continue with that yeah good on you abe it's uh great to have him on the podcast i'll certainly be listening out uh for start the week just i won't have to get up at uh 5 a.m in the morning anymore <laughs> well unfortunately i will that's it for today and i'll be back tomorrow with tuesday we're going to have a look at sports gambling and see who's been the biggest spender in that area in a time that is quite relevant for that area and don't forget if you want to support unmade you can become a paying member go to unmade.media to find out how Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of the aforementioned Abe at Abe's Audio. And Abe will, of course, be in the hot seat from next week. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.